Good morning, everybody. Let me add my welcome to Ollie's. Uh, my name's Warwick. I'm one of the church leaders. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, please do keep that passage open, and let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your living and active word to us, Lord, and we pray now that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts by your Spirit, through your word. Build us up, Lord, we pray, to do your kingdom work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in just over a month's time, we will be at our big Passion for Life weekend. We've got a great event planned for the Friday, uh, the Friday evening for people uh, to come along to. And we've got a guest speaker on the Sunday. We're going to be praying about Passion for Life and for our regular outreach activities next Sunday evening. We've got the men's breakfast coming up. We've got the Pudding Club event coming up that we heard about earlier this morning. And we've been able to take advantage of some great Passion for Life resources to help us in our witness to Jesus. So as we gear up, for this evangelistic initiative, I wonder how you're feeling. Some of us will be really excited. For others, it might feel like a big burden that makes us feel guilty as we sense that pressure to reach out. Some of us may be thinking, not this again. I guess many of us will be quite nervous perhaps a little bit reluctant. We don't want to rock the boat in our relationships with our non-Christian friends and colleagues. And then when we do pluck up the courage, if you're anything like me, you're worried about how you're thinking, how is this going to go? What am I going to say? What exactly am I urging people to do when I point them to Jesus? Well, this is where I think the book of Jonah is so helpful, and particularly chapter 3 that we are looking at this morning. It is a book that shows that God cares for all nations, and he doesn't want to see anyone perish, but everyone come to repentance. And if God can use someone as selfish and as reluctant as Jonah to do his kingdom work then he can use you and me too. So you'll remember in chapter 1, God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. And what did, what did Jonah do? What did Jonah do? He did a runner. That's what he did. He did a runner. He tried to run from God. He headed for Tarshish, modern-day Spain, which at that time was like the ends of the earth to get away from God, because Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Why? Well, as Ollie explained a few weeks ago, Nineveh was in Assyria, and Assyria had history with Jonah and his people, Israel, northern kingdom, and it wasn't good history. It was bad history. You see, the Assyrians had already attacked Jonah's homeland many years before, and years later, in 722 BC, they would do it again. So Nineveh and Israel, they weren't exactly the best of friends. And what is more, Nineveh was a wicked, brutal place. Elsewhere in the Bible, in Nahum 3, 
Nineveh is described as the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. This was a deeply unpleasant place, full of deeply unpleasant people. I'm told that if you go to the British Museum, you can see in friezes the descriptions that the Assyrians and the Ninevites wrote about themselves, how they would cut off people's noses and ears and let them bleed to death, or how after capturing their enemies, the Assyrians would typically cut off their legs and one arm, leaving the other arm and hand so that they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as they were dying. It's grim. So no wonder Jonah didn't want to go there. This was a violent enemy, and he did not want God to pardon them. How could God not bring judgment on these people? Perhaps a more modern-day example would be if Jonah was Ukrainian and was told to go to Russia, to march into the Kremlin and to warn Putin and save them. Tough. So, Jonah tried to run from God, but of course he couldn't. He was caught up in a great storm. He was thrown overboard as God showed mercy to the sailors on the ship. And then last week in Jonah 2, we saw God's mercy on Jonah as he rescued him via the belly of a huge fish who swallowed him whole and then vomited him up onto dry land. Because God hadn't finished with Jonah just yet. Jonah had a mission to fulfill. And now, transformed through this experience, Jonah was ready to obey God, which brings us to chapter 3 and our three points this morning. First, Jonah's obedience. Second, Nineveh's repentance. And third, God's mercy. Now we see God's mercy on Nineveh. So first, in verses 1 to 4, Jonah's obedience. So chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. It's just like chapter 1, verse 1, going right back. God's word came to Jonah again in the same way. And God gave him the same command. And so despite Jonah disobeying God's command, despite the way that he had tried to run from God, God gave Jonah another chance. Isn't that the most wonderful grace, the most wonderful encouragement? Because maybe we have done something similar. Maybe we're aware that we have disobeyed God, that we've disobeyed his commands. We're aware that actually we've tried to run from him. Maybe we're running now. And it feels like we've blown it with God. Why, why would he be interested in me? How can I be useful to him with the way that I've treated him? And yet God is a God of second chances, 
as we see with Jonah, who loves us, who forgives us as we repent, who's willing to use us even if we have let him down. You know, or maybe we've had the opportunities to speak of God and to share our faith with others in the past, but when the moment comes, we didn't take it. And we hid, as Jonah hid. I don't know, do you know that? You, you sense the moment coming, the chance to share something of your faith, to point somebody to the Lord Jesus. And you, you, just, you just don't have the courage to do it, and the moment passes. And it feels like you've blown it. How can God use me? But he can. He's the God of second chances, of third chances, and so on. And as we repent and we pray for forgiveness and the courage to grasp more opportunities, he'll give us another go. But of course, we mustn't presume on God's grace. But let's not lose sight of it either. So verse 3, Jonah went to Nineveh. It was a big place, even by ancient standards. And verse 3, it needed three days to go through it. Now, just put yourself in Jonah's shoes for a moment. I think it's incredibly brave of him to go. Here he was, going into the enemy's home, a godless place, renowned for its cruelty. I would imagine that he felt pretty vulnerable, pretty weak. He's just one guy in this massive city. What is he supposed to achieve on his own? It's extraordinary. But let's not forget, this was God's plan. God had sent him. And God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? But again, I take great heart from this, because as Christians in our society, we find ourselves very much in the minority. The only Christian in our class at school, the only Christian in our department at work, the only Christian we know, perhaps, in our local neighbourhood. And we do feel weak. And we do feel vulnerable, and we do feel isolated. And yet, as we see with Jonah, God can still do mighty things through us, even if we are weak, even if we are on our own. We have to put our trust and confidence in the Lord, because the power to change hearts and lives doesn't lie in us, does it? It lies in the one who sent us. And in his word. You see, look at verse 2. What was Jonah to tell Nineveh? Verse 2, he was to proclaim the message that God would give him. Jonah may have felt weak and sinful, exposed and vulnerable. He may have been just one man in a godless, idolatrous city, but God had sent him. And he went with God's power through God's word. And as he proclaimed the message that God had given him, a whole city turned to God. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Imagine if the whole city of Derby turned to God. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? So it wasn't Jonah's magnetic personality that changed Nineveh. It was God's power through his message. I think sometimes I fall into the trap of thinking, look, if my non-Christian friends really like me, if they really like me, then they'll listen. And of course, we want to build relationships. 
with people, so that we've got opportunities uh, to invite them to passion for life or to, to, to share something of our faith. But the power to save lies with God and not with you or with me and not how much people like me. The Apostle Paul puts it brilliantly, I think, in 2 Corinthians 4, when he's talking about the good news of Jesus. He says, we have this treasure, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, in jars of clay, i.e. us, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I am just a jar of clay, ordinary, unimpressive, nothing special about me. But I've got this treasure, this glorious gospel message, and that is where the power lies. I don't need to modify it. I don't need to invent my own message, but proclaim the message that God has given me clearly and graciously. Or invite friends and colleagues to an event where they can hear that message faithfully proclaimed. And as that happens, so God's power is displayed as he turns hearts and lives back to him. So what was Jonah's message then? Well, it's there in verse 4. It's a powerful message of judgment. Jonah said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, I dare say that's not all he said. I'm sure this is just a summary. I'm sure he talked about how God had saved him from that fish, how God is creator, how he disciplines, but how he also loves and how he forgives. That's not included here. What is included is that unless Nineveh repented, they would face God's judgment. So this is clearly a vital message that God wants us to know. If we repeatedly ignore God, turning instead to the idols of this world, and we reject him, there are consequences, because our sin is serious. And we know that, don't we, through the cross, where God swapped places with us in his son Jesus, suffering the hell and the punishment that we deserve. So that if we are trusting in him, we don't have to suffer it ourselves, but we are forgiven. Our sin washed away and dealt with. Now I wonder, I wonder what our non-Christian friends think about God. What does our society think about God? They think he exists. Most of those I know, I think, would acknowledge that if there is a God, he makes little or no difference to their lives. But there is an assumption that everything will be all right in the end, that we'll all be in heaven, whether we bother with God or not. When it comes to the crunch, when the rubber hits the road, we'll be there. I guess that makes God a bit of a soft touch, doesn't it? But God's not a soft touch. He is a God of amazing love, yes but he is holy, and he is a God of justice. And Jonah needed to let Nineveh know that. 
And so he urged them that unless they repented, judgment was coming. Now, <coughs> excuse me, clearly Jonah had a specific brief. But as I think about the non-Christian guys I know, as I think about the dads on the football sidelines, I find this incredibly challenging. Judgment is certainly not the first thing that I talk about. I've talked to one who's an RE teacher. I've talked to him about faith. I talked to another one about what he thinks the role of the church is. As I look at this, I'm struck that I need to invest in building those relationships, because I think that it's probably only in the context of a good friendship that I might have an opportunity in time to gently, carefully, prayerfully talk to them about judgment. Because I'm not going to do it when we're on the football sidelines watching them play the game. But without it, without that message, Christ's death doesn't really make sense. If I haven't got a problem, why do I need a saviour? What is the point of Jesus' death? But there will be a day of accounting. Because God is holy. And so when I see how Jesus at the cross fixes my problem, how he changes my future, how he moves me from hell to heaven then I see why I should believe. And I find that when I talk about uh, this in terms of, uh, of, of what I believe and, and what I think God's done for me and what he can do for anybody who, who trusts in Jesus, I think it's easier for others to hear, or that's certainly been my experience. So first then, we see Jonah's obedience as he went to Nineveh and he proclaimed God's message of judgment. And then as a result, secondly, and more briefly, in verses 5 to 9, we see Nineveh's repentance. So look at verse 5. Just a few words. The Ninevites believed God. They believed God. Now, that's very striking, isn't it? It wasn't Jonah they believed. It was God. They recognized God's voice in what Jonah was saying. They couldn't ignore it. Again, I think this is encouraging. Because the spirit can often soften the hardest of hearts. It happened at Nineveh. It can happen with those that we know. And so God brought the Ninevites to repentance. Now remember, repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. So in Tim's illustration last week, going down that muddy path, you'll remember, repentance would be to change your mind to think, I'm going to stop going down that muddy way. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go the other way. Now, Nineveh may not have been on a muddy path, but they were on an idolatrous, immoral one. And as they realized God was speaking to them, they repented. Verse 5, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. You ever put on sackcloth? I'd imagine it's quite itchy. I don't know, maybe it's sort of... Do you do sacks for the sack race with the kids? Yes, painful memories. Anyway, uh, they put on sackcloth. They left their good clothes in the wardrobe and they covered themselves in sackcloth. 
a sign of mourning for their sinful behavior. In verse 8, the king of Nineveh decreed, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So there was the whole of Nineveh turning from their sin, committing to live life differently and crying out to God for mercy. Maybe you're here this morning or you're joining us online and you sense God calling you to turn from your sin and to turn to him. Well, like the Ninevites, humble yourselves and cry out to him for mercy. But equally for those of us who would call ourselves Christians, of course, repentance isn't just a one-off thing, is it? It's daily. I'm conscious that I need to turn from my sin and to ask God to forgive me each day because I keep on failing him and letting him down. I need to pray that God would make me more like Jesus by his spirit and help me to live more faithfully for him. Knowing knowing that wonderfully, as we see next, God is merciful and he is compassionate. So we've had Jonah's obedience, Nineveh's repentance, and then thirdly in verse 10, God's mercy. Now back in verse 9, <clears throat> the Ninevites did not presume on God's mercy because that would be foolish. Verse 9, the king decreed, who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. God may yet relent. They recognize God's sovereignty, that he's free to do what he likes. And he's God, after all. But wonderfully, verse 10, God did spare them. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So God did not destroy Nineveh. He spared them from his judgment. But hang on a minute. Did God change his mind then? He was going to destroy them. Nineveh prayed, so he changed his mind. Because if he changed his mind about that, what else could he change his mind about? Could he change his mind about saving you or saving me? Well, God did not change his mind. I mean, he knows everything already anyway. No, when God relented from destroying Nineveh, he was faithfully keeping his promise to relent exactly when he had planned to do. Just have a look, not now, but just have a look at Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 to 8 when you get home. Jeremiah 18, 7 to 8, and you will see that's exactly what God did when the Ninevites called out to him in prayer. <clears throat> he was faithfully keeping his promise. Now, of course, God didn't just turn a blind eye to Nineveh's sin. He didn't just let it go. No, that price would be paid for by Christ at the cross, just as he paid the price for our sin, as we will remember in a moment when we share bread and wine. So as we gear up, as we gear up for Passion for Life, inviting friends and family to events, as we seek to reach out to people at Acorns and Oaks and Junior Jivers 
and pudding club and so on. We can take great heart from Jonah chapter 3. Nineveh was a godless, immoral, idolatrous place. People were far from the Lord. In many ways similar to the society in which we live. Our workplaces, our clubs, the schools, and so on. And yet, Jonah obeyed the Lord, and he proclaimed his message, and Nineveh repented, and God spared them. Brothers and sisters, may we be ready to obey Christ's great commission to go and to make disciples of all nations, to go to our Nineveh, wherever that might be, holding out the gospel message or inviting people to passion for life or pudding club or whatever it might be, praying, praying that those who hear would repent and believe and know God's extraordinary mercy. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the way that we see you working, uh, your power in in Nineveh and and in Jonah. What an encouragement uh, that is to us. We thank you that you are a God of compassion, that you are a God of great mercy, as we see supremely at the cross in your Son. Lord, we pray for our city, and we pray for those we know who don't know you. And we pray that you would have mercy on them and that they would come to repentance. And we pray, Lord God, for your blessing in all the events that we have coming up in the next month or so, and indeed beyond. Help us, Lord, to play our part in your kingdom mission, relying on you and your power. In Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Well, before we share the Lord's Supper, we are going to sing again. Let me invite musicians up. Thank you, guys. So we're going to sing again. As Jonah was rescued, as he was brought from death to life, from the belly of that fish, for then he obeyed the Lord. Now, likewise for us, as we come to the cross, a far, far greater rescue through his precious son. A rescue, a love, a love so amazing, so divine that it demands our soul, our life, our all. We're going to stand to sing when I survive.